Hello and welcome to the Herbal Sensorium, a sanctuary for musings and explorations into the sensational realm of clinical herbalism. I'm your host, Erica Gallantin of Sovereignty Herbs and the Herbal Practice Connection, and I am so very grateful for your company today. Well, hello, my loves. I hope you are all feeling that special shade of vibrancy as we step into the heart of the springtime season here in the Northern Hemisphere. This has got to be my absolute favorite time of year in Southeast Ohio. Watching the forests awaken with their spring ephemerals and medicinals like black and blue cohosh, trilliums, hepaticas, spring beauties. We're also in peak ramp season here in these hollers and hills, and the morel mushrooms are not too far behind. Talk about yum. But nothing brings more ease to my soul than spending time in these woods, seeing the forest birth forth its vitality. It's almost contagious, like Just by being around it, witnessing it, my own vitality is encouraged and fortified. My medicine gardens are also starting to unfurl, and although I always feel desperately behind in my upkeep, my springtime routine includes a bi-weekly morning saunter with my cup of coffee, walking around seeing everyone who is waking up above the soil line and where they're waking up. It's amazing to me how much plants actually move from season to season. And it's always a joy, for me anyway, to find a familiar growing in a place where I didn't plant it, but where it decided to take root on its own accord. I love finding surprises like this in the garden. I call them my, well, hello moments. I have had a series of these serendipitous moments recently with one particular species of medicinal plant. So many, in fact, that I now firmly believe that the plant was literally begging me to be a guest on the Herbal Sensorium. That being said, I also firmly believe that plants show up in our lives when we or our clients need them the most. And maybe this is a fantastical thing to say, but I have experienced this serendipity with plants too many times in my personal life and my clinical career to not take notice or derive meaning from these encounters. You see, like an ocean tide, herbs ebb and flow in prominence in my clinical practice. What I mean by this is that I have experienced phases whereby the same herb shows up for a period of time, maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe even years, both being indicated and needed for a significant proportion of my clients. That being said, A lot of my clients are working their way through similar wellness journeys, so it would make sense that many of them would have similar species in their blends. But this is a bit different. It's like, all of a sudden, after coming forward into my consciousness once more, my focus is directed at a relearning, a reintegration, a new depth of encounter with an old familiar ally. And so these plants come in and they stick around for a little while. So my early morning garden saunters and well, hello moments 
have had my attention drawn towards a specific medicinal plant that to this day has me rather perplexed. And this is the mighty and misunderstood valerian, a plant that I have been growing in my medicine gardens rather controllably for years, and who literally this season has begun to make debut appearances in brand new unforeseen locations. And I'm not surprised because I am in desperate need of the fresh root tincture in my dispensary as I have almost run out and it is currently in a lot of blends. Now, fresh root is the key combo of words here. And I will definitely explain why a little later on in my story. In fact, that fresh valerian root tincture is in so many client blends currently. It is definitely a curiosity to me. I used to avoid valerian like the plague. It was that herb, which you could never predict in regards to its tolerability. For some people, it's wonderfully supportive, but for others, it's a total windup, leading to the opposite effect of its desired nervine and sedative actions. An aversion so strong that I've had a few clients lose hope in all herbs after its use, although they did regain hope after a while. But headaches, irritability, nausea. And as I usually add this herb into a sleep support blend, I never wanted to run the risk of causing headaches, irritability, and nausea at bedtime when my client was already struggling to relax into sleep. It was like valerian was a risk that I was not prepared to take for my clients, simply because I wasn't ever going to be clear as to whether or not they would have an affinity for the plant or a complete and utter aversion. And so over the years, I have been almost avoidant of valerian because until recently, I have not been able to wrap my head around why it is so helpful for some people and so distressingly awful for others. And I've talked to many of my herbalist friends and colleagues about how they decide if the client valerian relationship will be a good one or not. I've heard a lot of really great theories over the years, usually surrounding the client constitution and the paradoxical energetics of valerian, which I will elaborate on later on in this episode. But the one resounding commonality in all of the various sentiments about the appropriateness of valerian is usually something along the lines of, sometimes you get it right, sometimes you don't, and... It may not make any sense, but that is the art of herbalism. If that is the case, if that is the art of herbalism, it begs the following questions. Isn't this give-it-a-go approach experimental? Are we like experimenting on our clients? Is it a reflection of quackery that we don't always get the matchmaking right? Like, just throwing herbs at folks and seeing what sticks? Or is it more an exploration of nuance and a reflection of the art of what we do as clinical herbalists? Is herbalism as an artistic expression still an effective and trustworthy health and wellness care option? And thus, we arrive at this month's musings in the Herbal Sensorium, where I bask in the paradox of Valerian and go on a declarative journey into the idea that the art of herbalism is actually our superpower. 
So before I dive in to this month's musings, I have a few announcements I would like to share. So hopefully you can bear with me. Uh, They're exciting, I promise. Firstly, I am thrilled to be collaborating on a really cool project with the Northwest School of Aromatic Medicine. We're calling it the Aromatic Medicine Garden. And it's a monthly subscription-based offering where each month we release new video lessons on aromatic plants, as well as core herbalism and aromatherapy teachings with yours truly. I have been having so much fun with this project and being able to sit and talk about the plants and the profession I love so much is a real blessing. And I'd love to have you join me there. So I've put a link in the show notes for interested folks. I'm also delighted to be offering two sacred aromatic distillation intensives this year. The first one is at Oshala Farm in Applegate Valley, Oregon, and is really a dream come true for me to be able to distill on this organic farm with those plants surrounded by that bounty is going to be such a profound experience for me. The other distillation intensive that I am teaching is actually outside of Edinburgh, Scotland, and I am over the moon to be returning back to the island. Both of these workshops promise a soul-enriching experience, as I teach aromatic distillation from a very experiential and spiritual perspective. During these workshops, not only do you learn the anatomy and physiology of how to distill, I also open participants up to the why of distilling. For me, it's a vector for the deepening of our relationships with the plants we rely on, but also with ourselves. So links to these events are also in the show notes. For those of you who have been following along with the creation of the Herbal Practice Connection, or HPX, I am pleased to say that it is getting so close to going live, and I'm pretty sure I'm on target to start accepting memberships at the end of April, beginning of May. As of right now, your membership will provide you access to the network, which contains different spaces, including the consultation room, the apothecary, and the office and marketing garden. Each of these spaces will have its own forum where we can interact as a community to support one another. And in addition to the community forum, there will also be weekly challenges and accountability worksheets, as well as live trainings and meetups surrounding structured topics in each space. I will also be inviting guest teachers in to share their expertise surrounding some of the complexities of clinical herbal practice. And my goal, my big goal, is to keep membership below $45 a month. So totally affordable and totally worth it. And in the meantime, I am pleased to announce that I am offering a low-cost seminar the second week in May titled Clinical Forms in Herbal Practice. After over 17 years working one-on-one with clients, I can honestly say that my clinical forms are the backbone of success in my clinical practice. They build trust and provide mutual understanding between you and your client. They allow you to be as prepared as possible for efficient and effective consultations. They help set and maintain client expectations and the scope of your clinical work. And most importantly, they provide you with the ability to practice safely, ethically, and with accountability and professionalism, and so much more. That being said, most of my students and mentees struggle deeply to get their heads around which clinical forms are needed, 
their purpose and how to build and format them so they are functional, presentable, and useful for both the practitioner and the client. In this seminar, we will be exploring four clinical forms that I believe are absolutely critical to a safe, ethical, and accountable clinical herbal practice. So you can check out the show notes for a link to that as well. And lastly, I'm delighted to be teaching an intensive at this year's International Herb Symposium titled Landing the Leap from Student to Practitioner. So for those of you listening along here in the Herbal Sensorium who are on the road to clinical practice as well as planning on attending the IHS this year, I hope you will consider joining me for a deep dive on launching into your clinical career. So that's all my announcements for now. Thank you very much for your patience. And so with that, on to the rest of the Paradoxical Valerian and Herbalism Superpower Show. So I teach a seminar called The Herbalist as Wounded Healer. It is a treatise on self-reflective practice within the context of assessing our relationship to our profession, how we define ourselves as herbalists and why, and all of this in juxtaposition to redefining the role of the herbalist in people's lives, in modern America at least. Because I truly believe that the role of the herbalist in people's lives has changed over the centuries in pace with the phenomena of modern living and modern medical sciences. And as the role of the herbalist in people's lives has changed, so has the source of our value. And be patient with me as I navigate this thought train out loud. As I promise, we are going to arrive at why the art of herbalism is our superpower. So focusing on my roots or cultural herbalism lineage out of Scotland and the UK, herbalists were at one time responsible for primary care and used herbs in the treatment of primary care problems, everything from infections to self-inflicted disease because generally speaking, there were no other tools to turn to. Fast forward to the modern era, the medical herbalist in the UK as primary care provider is still the case in some capacity, although the primary care setting has understandably shifted to that of modern Western medical diagnosis and treatment. And with the fantastic evolution of modern medicine, the treatment of disease now lies mostly entirely under the auspices of pharmaceuticals, medical devices, and surgical procedures, not so much herbs, at least not in the modern popular culture way of things. So it begs to be pointed out then that perhaps the value of the herbalist can no longer be defined by the standards, expectations, processes, or even philosophies of modern medicine. Modern medicine and herbalism are not the same thing. They are fundamentally different with distinct roles to play in people's lives. And for the soapbox of this broadcast, I'm going to say that I deeply believe that we need to stop comparing and modeling the practice of herbalism after the practice of modern medicine, as if it needs to be like modern medicine in order to be valid, real, tangible, effective, 
or even worse, that we continue to define ourselves as an alternative to it, as if it comes down to a choice between one form of health and wellness care over the other, as if one gets chosen so that the other must be rejected. And I know a lot of herbalists who feel the same way as I do, but there is still an elephant in the room that hasn't been spoken of, whether it be the internal imposter syndrome voice or external cultural narratives. For the herbalist, it is easy to become convinced that our work is inherently inferior to that of modern medicine. But from my perspective, modern medicine and herbalism are simply not comparable for one to be superior over the other. They are different, just like apples and bananas are different. And so what this means to me, as an herbalist who refuses to compare my work in the world to the practice of medicine, is that we have an opportunity as practitioners to really embrace the creative, the intuitive, and the subjective as critical and valid tools for assessing and rationalizing the herbal support we offer our clients. For me, the practice of herbalism is almost more akin to painting than it is practicing medicine. Let me explain. It's like the herbs we turn to are shades of color, which bring our collective work with our clients to life. And just like in painting, where there are so many shades of the same color. There are many, many different species of herbs that are capable of supporting our clients in similar ways. And choosing which herb is the exact right shade for the portrait of support you are painting for your client can often be a process of trial and error. Now, through the lens of modern medicine, this trial and error may be judged as experimental quackery, as would be our systems of decision-making, such as herbal energetics, medical astrology, etc. And I know many an herbalist who feels really insecure about this, about not knowing the exact right herb or blend of herbs after only speaking to a person for an hour, or being able to justify their herbal suggestions with their creative, intuitive, and subjective ways of knowing. Now, don't get me wrong. Without a doubt, the medical sciences of anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, and pharmacology are incredibly important guides in clinical herbal practice. In fact, I cannot do my work well without them. But the creative, the intuitive, and the subjective palette of support that the plant kingdom provides means that we also have to be artists in our work with our clients. In fact, it is the art of herbalism that makes our work unique and potent and incomparable to the practice of medicine. It is the art of herbalism that redefines our role and our value in people's lives. In fact, I believe that the art of herbalism is actually our superpower. So as artists, we are also pathfinders through the nuances of the herbal realm. Nuances that can place a single herb and its support within a paradoxical relationship to itself. In the case of Valerian, the star of today's herbal sensorium, nuances that leave us unclear or uncertain even about whether or not the person you are suggesting Valerian root for will be one of those who will have a bad reaction to it. 
nuances that guide us into the journey of finding the exact right shade of herbal support for our clients. I remember the very first time I met Valerian. It was like walking into the room with a college locker room full of dirty athlete's foot. (laughs) But really meeting this herb actually took place during a blind tea tasting in my third year at university. Now, a blind tea tasting is when a group of people get together and engage in a full sensory and experiential study of a single medicinal herb. It's called blind because we don't know what the herb is. And sensorial study because the group goes through the aroma, the taste, and any and all physical sensations experienced as a result of interacting with the herb being studied. In the case of my first valerian encounter, It was an infusion of the dried root that was explored. And looking back on my notes, which are almost 20 years old now, this is what I noted. The aroma is overpowering, strong smelling like dirty feet, potent, and almost nauseating. My sense of smell is making me question whether or not I should actually ingest this plant. My senses are saying no. Its taste is resinous, earthy aromatic, bitter, but not nearly as unpleasant as its aroma. The physical sensations I noticed that I experienced were a deep relaxation, especially across the chest and abdomen, inasmuch as I didn't realize I was holding tension there. My digestion has been activated, and I put a note here with some minor burping, an increase in appetite, and also minor grumblings. So definitely a digestive activation. It also says here that I experienced a sleepy-like sedation, gentle, but definitely present. So at the end of these group tea tastings, the herbalist who is leading the class then takes us on a journey of their impressions about the said herb. And in the case of the valerian, our professor took us through a variety of their impressions and experiences, many of which seemed, well, paradoxical. In the first instance, it was shared that while some people find this herb to be relaxing and sedating in smaller doses, larger doses have been said to increase restlessness and agitation in some people, and that some people can't tolerate valerian at all, even in smaller doses. And so the question for me was always, how are you supposed to know whether or not your client will get along with valerian? What provides us with any insight about navigating this herbal nuance? How do we know when to choose the valerian shade of sedative? Surely the answer's in the herb's energetics, right? So here's another significant valerian paradox rabbit hole. In the British herbal tradition, as documented in texts that are several hundred years old now, valerian is mostly considered warming and drying, even though it has a sedative action. Another paradox, but this is one I want to explain. Now, the way that I interpret the energetics of sedation is from a physiomedical or tissue states perspective, whereby sedatives slow function 
And under the auspices of the Hippocratic adage, heat is life, cold is death, the slowing of function or sedation is cold. It's cooling. So in the case of valerian, we have an herb that has been termed both a warming aromatic and a sedative. Now, aromatic herbs are generally warming in nature, and many of them have nervine and relaxant qualities, but this is very different than sedative. Warming aromatic sedatives. This is an oddity, a paradox. So tapping into the history of valerian, I next turn to the physiomedical and eclectic medical traditions of colonial America, reading from William Cook's 1869 Physiomedical Dispensatory. I search for clues about the energetics of this herb and how a warming sedative may influence the human system. He writes of valerian, quote, moderately stimulant, somewhat diffusive in action. Its principal influence is extended upon the nervous system, first the peripheries, whence it is a nervine and antispasmodic in cases of irritability, restlessness, tormina, hysteria, and nearly all forms of acute nervousness. Second, the brain, inducing quietude and sleep. Many pronounce it a narcotic, but this is assuredly possesses no such property. For while large doses will induce heaviness and drowsiness, the sleep procured by its influence is natural, is usually accompanied by a gentle and warm perspiration, and leaves no morbid impressions after it is passed off. Under the influence of the agent, the pulse becomes fuller and softer, but it is not an arterial excitant as many suppose, though it has enough stimulating power to make it suitable to moderately depressed conditions, end quote. And from the eclectic perspective, moving on from the physiomedical, we have Ellingwood stating in his 1919 The American Materia Medica the following, quote, considered a minor nerve sedative, saying in large doses it stimulates the brain, causing headache, giddiness, perverted vision, restlessness, agitation, nausea. Influence upon the nervous system is indicated when circulation to nerve centers is inactive and feeble. Pale face and the skin is cool. It is applicable in the nervousness of depression because of its gentle, stimulating influence. End quote. So lastly, what Scudder writes albeit very briefly, in his 1870 Specific Medication and Specific Medicines, quote, it allays nervous irritability, modifies or arrests pain, promotes rest, and favors sleep, where these conditions result from an enfeebled cerebral circulation, end quote. So in Erica's translation, not enough blood or warmth to the brain. So what I'm taking away from these physiomedical and eclectic perspectives is that there is a particular flavor of sedation that can only result from adequate circulation to the tissues of the nervous system, including the prominent ones such as the brain. So perhaps then, valerian is going to be overstimulating or even agitating to an individual who already has ample circulation to the nervous system tissues, 
including the brain. Perhaps they are already hot-headed or warm-blooded enough, and their restlessness is coming from a place of excess rather than deficiency. I could see, theoretically speaking, there being a difference between these two clinical presentations. But I am totally about to throw another wrench in the Valerian Paradox works, because in my explorations for an explanation as to why some people react so poorly to Valerian, I was combing through various historical texts which all seem to give reference to the dried root being used. And then one lovely day, I stumbled across William Salmon's writings on Valerian from his 1710 Botanologia, The English Herbal or History of Plants, where he left an interesting and artistic clue. He writes, the green or fresh roots are said to be temperate in respect of heat or cold, but being dried are hot and dry in the first degree. Aha! Yet another nuance. I have only traditionally been exposed to and employed preparations of valerian made from the dried roots. And here William Salmon is telling us that the plant is actually more temperate in nature if it's coming from fresh. So, several years ago, I decided to grow valerian to experiment with the fresh root tincture. And oh my gosh, you guys, what a difference it makes in so many respects. It is no longer that fetid, nasty, dirty sock smell. It's It's lighter in its presence. It's sweeter smelling. It's even sweeter tasting and not so well warming, not so dank, not so heavy. I find the fresh root tincture incredibly effective for supporting relaxation and promoting healthy sleep, just as I did the dried root tincture, but with a little less warmth. I feel confident when using fresh valerian root preparations that the agitation conundrum can be more easily avoided. That being said, I don't have the answers here, folks, but I think the journey down the valerian rabbit hole is a perfect demonstration as to why the art of herbalism is our superpower and why we have to tap into it in order to become effective in our clinical work. And so I will leave you with some final thoughts about the indications for valerian, about what makes me call upon it to support healthy sleep in certain individuals. And more often now in my clinical practice than ever before because of the fresh root tincture. These thoughts come to me via deconstruction of the herb's Latin name, valeriana. It is derived from the root word valere, meaning to have courage. So for those of us who struggle with letting go to sleep due to fearfulness, perhaps the valerian provides us with just enough courage just enough warmth to feel safe enough to rest. And so with that, I have reached the end of my musings here in the Herbal Sensorium for this month. And for those of you who made it all the way through, I've got some extra special love for you. And I hope that you will give the fresh root tincture of valerian an experimental go and really truly embrace the artistry of your work as a superpower. 
This is Erica Gallantin of Sovereignty Herbs and the Herbal Practice Connection, wishing you wellness wherever you are on your clinical herbalism journey. Thank you all for being with me in the Herbal Sensorium, and I look forward to spending time with you again here very, very soon.